Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Welcome, everybody, uh, and thanks for joining us here for Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. It's St. Patrick's Day. Can't you tell? I'm all in green, except I'm not. I went looking for green. Turns out I never wear it, but I do have this one item of clothing with the College Coach logo on it, and that has green, and my background is green, so I don't know. If we have the luck of the Irish today, hopefully we won't need it because certainly we are not representing very well. Um, We do, however, have a great show today. We have something for everybody, college students, college seniors, college juniors, and parents. There's always good stuff for you. Um, Before we dig in, I do want to remind everyone, if you haven't already, please drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, That will help others find us. And if you found this really helpful and you wouldn't mind being part of the the supporters that help other people find us, we would really appreciate it. Uh, All right. First up, we are taking a closer look at PSLF. And if you're wondering what the heck is PSLF, well, we're going to tell you. But joining me is my colleague and college finance expert, Tara Piantanita Kelly. Hi, Tara. Hello. The Kelly part is Irish, right? Yeah, though that's very true. My son's last name is Irish, but you know, I am not Irish. So and I've and I guess I hate the color green because I never wear it because I literally had not one thing in my closet that was green other than this. Well, let's start with the big question, which is what the heck is PSLF? Okay, so PSLF stands for Public Service Loan Forgiveness. And that is a program that started back in 2007. Uh, and the, the gist of the program was and is that if a borrower is working full time for a qualifying employer, we're going to talk about what that is, mm-hmm. um, and, and while they're making payments on certain types of their federal student loans, we'll talk about those two, um, that are on certain repayment plans, we'll talk about those two, um, <laughs> after they make 120 of these qualifying payments, then the remaining balance of their uh, federal student loan debt is forgiven. It is wiped out. And uh, and it's not a taxable event either. I mean, it literally just goes away. Goes away. So basically, you make 10 years of payments, and then the loan goes away, in theory. In theory, yes. 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 It did not always work out that way, but yes. yes. Well, why don't we start with, um, you? there were a few things you mentioned that you said, we're going to talk about that. Why don't we start with the first, which is, what is a qualifying employer? All right. So uh, a qualifying employer, it is one that is working in the public service. It could be a governmental organization. It could be a school district. Uh, and then most not-for-profit uh, corporations and public charities also qualify. So if you're working for any of those and you think you and you're still repaying your federal student loans, you might want to listen up to this segment. Yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, that that covers a lot. So there could be yeah. quite a few people who are in those worlds who um, who should be paying attention. W- one other thing you mentioned is that there are only certain types of federal student loans qualify for PSLF. Uh, So can you tell us which ones do? And then probably even more importantly, or equally importantly, which ones don't qualify? Absolutely. So the loans that qualify for public service loan forgiveness is uh, is, uh, the federal direct loans, whether they be the federal direct subsidized, federal direct unsubsidized, um, federal grad plus direct loan, um, consolidation loans that are federal direct consolidation loans. Those all qualify. You notice they all have the word direct in them, right? The loans that don't qualify are the old uh, FELP loans, the Federal Family Educational Loan Program. That was uh, the federal loan um, program that was phased out in 2009-10, but some of those loans still exist. So those loans do not qualify for public service loan forgiveness, and uh, neither do like the federal Perkins loans. They don't qualify. And of course, um, private loans, but also federal parent plus loans. So the federal parent loan that the parent borrows for the student's um, education. Those don't qualify either, but there's a little way around that. <laughs> there's okay. a lot of nuances to this program. Do, are we going to talk about that later? Or do you want to cover that right now? 
Now we can talk about that later. We'll go over that during the nuance section. Okay, love it. That's right. There is a nuance section. Uh, and that is, I think, the world that we live in, in both college admissions and college finance is in the nuance. Yes. Uh, all right. There was another uh, portion of that original definition of PSLF that identified certain repayment plans. So what are those? <laughs> All right. So in order for a payment to be qualified for this, uh, the payment must be made either on the standard 10-year repayment plan or one of the income-driven repayment plans. But if you think about it, Beth, you, you said, oh, well, you, you pay for 10 years and then you get the rest forgiven. If you're right. on the standard 10-year repayment plan, you're not going to have anything left to forgive. <laughs> right. Because that gets you... Fully paid, right? Right. Yes. Right. So, and this was the, I said that there were some challenges with this in the beginning, and this was the thing that caught up most borrowers. Because if you've looked in the media, you've seen that public service loan forgiveness has a lot of negative publicity to yes. it. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, the program began in, uh, began in 2007. And so the first people who had made what they thought was 120 qualifying payments were eligible to have their remaining balance forgiven in 2018. And many of them submitted the final form saying, I've made my payments. I'm, you know, debt free now. And most of them were denied. Mm, because not good. It, no, because at least one, if not all of their payments had been made under some other repayment plan, like an extended repayment plan or a graduated payment plan, and those didn't count. Mm. So as you can imagine, they were pretty angry. Yes. <laughs> and, and the Department of Education got some very bad press because of it. And that's why we have this window of opportunity, because there are two different things going on right now that are temporary and that could really benefit a lot of borrowers. Okay. So- Let's talk to us. What are those things that are going on that people should be taking advantage of? Okay. So right now there's something, there's two programs. The first is called um, the, a temporary expansion of public service loan forgiveness. And that is mainly for people who submitted the, that thing saying, okay, I've done 120 payments and they were denied. With the temporary expansion, they can go back and even loans that were made under the wrong repayment plan, mm -hmm. will those will be counted as qualifying payments. So if you know they had made 120 payments on an extended repayment plan and their loans weren't forgiven during this time, during the temporary expansion, uh, if they submit the form again, those payments they should be. be counted. Yes. Mm, yes. Wow. But it's, it's temporary. It's even in the name temporary. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's also limited funding. So it's a first come first serve thing. So this is something that you would want to jump on right away if you might fall into that category. Okay. That's important. Go yeah. do that now, people. Just <laughs> right. press pause and go do that. Okay. <laughs> yep. And then the other program that's going on right now, it's just a temporary waiver and it's for the people who don't fall into that category. Maybe um, they, they had made 50 payments or 10 payments, um, but they haven't made 120. And they maybe they have some additional loans like the old felp loans that um you know those payments don't count there's a temporary waiver going on right now it lasts from last october to this coming october that says if during this period of time you submit one of these public service loan forgiveness forms and we'll go over that in a minute mm -hmm. um then then we will go back and count um payments that you know even if they weren't the full payment we'll, normally those aren't don't count we'll count them. If they're on the wrong repayment plan, we'll count them. Mm -hmm. And even if you have, let's say, the old FELP loans that don't qualify, um, yep. if you if you do a federal consolidation loan right now during this waiver and no other time, because that's a big thing, believe it or not, for, mm -hmm. for public service loan forgiveness, then they will even count the payments made on those old FELP loans towards the 120. So this is a huge opportunity for, for people who you know, might otherwise not have had their loans forgiven. Yeah, that is huge. But also really just, I don't think we can stress enough. You need to act immediately. This is not something you can drag your heels on. Um, do we know when the temporary period is due to end? Uh, the 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 waiver is supposed to end on October 31st of 2022. Okay. The, tempor the temporary expansion, it's my understanding, will be around until all of the money runs out. <laughs> right. 
So could be around until tomorrow, could be around for three more months, but either way, you don't want to be standing, you know, holding the bag at the end because you've waited too long. Correct. Now is the time to act. And it's actually really easy to submit the form. There's not, you know, it's not like you're going to have to go, you know, give blood and and run up a mountain. I mean, it's actually pretty easy. So, um, you know, there's no reason not to. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, really good advice. So you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of nuance here. Have we covered all the nuance? Is there more nuance that we can go over? Or is there a place where people can go to find out more information? Yes. Yes. So we, there are more nuances. So I, I, you know, during this period of time, I can only cover kind of the the basics, Um, but there are nuances uh, and there are places that people can go to get additional information. So uh, we send people to it's studentaid.gov. They can log in using their federal student aid ID, which is the same thing that they used to sign their FAFSA or to sign their master promissory note. And then under manage loans, there's a section that says public service loan forgiveness. And when they go there, they'll learn all about it, including the waiver and the temporary expansion. And they will have be given access to this thing called a public service loan forgiveness help tool. And mm-hmm. that, in essence, is the online form that they would need to complete. And all they have to do is go into it under it says, who's your employer? There's a drop down box. They put their employer in. Um, and most employers are probably already in there because, right. but if they're, if they're not, they can add it. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to say, I worked, I've worked full time for this employer from this period of time until present or this period of time until here. And when the employee, that employer's HR department confirms that, then the federal servicer will go back. And during that period of time, they're going to count how many payments were made. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's pretty easy to do right. to submit this form. Right. Absolutely. Any advice for someone who is in college right now or a senior who is considering college and thinking about taking out quite a bit of debt, but plans to go into public service? You know, do we think this program is going to be around forever? I'm not a big proponent of encouraging people to take out a lot of debt that then they can just kind of get waived because the money is coming from somewhere and often it's coming from taxpayers and it would be nice to get that money back. But I also understand the, you know, the desire to have people go into public service. And so I see both sides of it, but I'm curious about your overall thoughts um, or advice that you would give. Well, um, we don't know how long the program will be around. It's been around for what, 15 years now, Mm -hmm. Um, but there's no promises for how long it will last. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, I know that when uh, I think I was still consulting when this program started and I had been doing some consulting at a, a private uh, law school and those students would graduate with a lot of loan debt and mm-hmm. some of them wanted to go into public service law. You know, they wanted to work for the DA's office or whatever, and they, they weren't going to make nearly enough to pay their, mm-hmm. their minimum right. student loan payment. So this is, that was the perfect example of who this might be, uh, who this might be good for. Right. Absolutely. Teachers, um, social workers, you know, things like that, where you're, you are really in the trenches helping people um, in a way that we need as a society. And, I, I, you know, that does seem like a fair trade-off. It's not like you're completely just wiping out, you're, you're making payments, you're showing good faith by making those payments. So, um, great. Awesome. Exactly. Oh, and one other thing, I one other nuance yes. I wanted to mention. So if you're working for a qualifying employer, it doesn't matter what you're doing for that employer. You could be, you know, or the receptionist or the, the vice president. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the employer itself, not what you're doing for the employer that makes ah. the difference. Interesting. That, so that's also good to know. It's not the actual role that you have. It is who you are working for. Um, yes. Really important nuance. I hadn't even thought about it that way. <laughs> yeah. All right. Tara, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Take care. Awesome. Okay. Well, we are going to go take a quick break. Um, And uh, when we come back, we are talking about doing summer programs at your top choice college. Is this something you need to do? Is it something you shouldn't do? We have thoughts and we're going to share them. So don't go away. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. 
That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts, who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions, offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to Getting In, a college coach conversation. In this next segment, we are talking about college summer programs and specifically whether or not you should be doing a summer program at your number one college. So if you have a top choice college, should you be doing your their summer program? Joining me for this conversation is my colleague Tova Tolman, who also is a former uh, admissions officer at Barnard College, at Fordham, and also at Montclair State. So she's got some wide variety of admissions experience here. Welcome, Tova. Thanks, Beth. It's good to be here. Yeah, absolutely. I will say, actually, much, much more relevant than some of my admissions experience. I worked for one of these summer programs at one of the colleges I worked at. We'll talk okay, about that. really good point that I neglected to bring up, so I'm glad that you did. Well, the overall question <laughs> here is, should I do a summer program at my top choice college, and why or why not? How important is this, I think? Where do you yeah. want to start? That's a good question. Um, well, with our favorite answer, Beth, it depends, right? It, do, it, do, <laughs> it definitely does depend. Pretty much every question. Yes. Um, okay. Maybe let's start with who are we talking to? Are we talking to students who really have identified a, a true first choice, who are juniors looking into uh, senior year, the summer between junior and senior year? Or are we talking to younger high school students who are looking into something for the summer after ninth, summer after 10th, because I think my answer, sort of my default where I might lean, depends and, and sort of some way defaults to which, which, which audience we have here. You know, I think when going into this, I, I was thinking we would be addressing current juniors who are planning their summer before senior year. They know what their top choice school is. But I also actually think there's value in you know, thinking about that younger set as well. And I like the, the and people may not have noticed the nuance in the question, but I, I see it. Is it truly your top choice? Are you sure? Or is this yeah. a, I've always dreamed of going to X school. You really have no idea if that's a school of interest, but <laughs> what you're looking for is what's going to give me an edge. Um, right. So there's a lot of things to kind of unpack, I think, there. What if we then unpack begin by talking about whether or not attending something like this can help you figure out if this school is your first choice or not. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think let's go there. I do. I see that as a pro for this, yeah. um, for doing a summer program at a college on a college campus. Right. Because I think it could help with that. So talk to us about, about your thoughts on that. I think it's a great way to get a feel for the campus, like the physical plant, the space. What are the buildings like? What is it like to actually walk from the residence hall over to the dining hall? What are the academic buildings like? Are the mattresses comfortable? Is the food tasty? You know, the actual physical plant. I think it can give you a really great taste of that as a pro. Do you see other pros? I, I have... I see some cons, but I want to see if you have any other pros. First. I think that's primarily, that's the biggest pro that I can see in general to these programs is mostly, is this really actually my top choice? Do I like being here? Is is this what I thought it would be? But right on the flip side of that, I know you see some cons. And so I'd love your, share those with us as well. Sure. I think there's, it's important to point out that summer 
might not give you the best or most accurate or complete picture of what the campus is like, the environment is like. The physical layout, absolutely. That's not changing in the summer, although right. humidity is a real thing in the summer in some places. Yes. But uh, are there other college students around? Are there other classes going on? Do they have a full load of students taking summer classes where you really do get the same vibe and atmosphere? Or is it a totally different feel? Are you getting a complete picture? And right. I feel like that might be a limitation of attending in summer. And that's yes. what we say in general about visiting college campuses in the summer too. Right. It's great. If that's the only time you can go, please do go. But you're right. It's not going to have the same feel right. typically as it will in full swing in the fall or in the spring. So I think really important points. In terms of what I think a lot of people when they think about, oh, I'm going to do this summer program on this campus, the my take, because they often express it this way, is that they're thinking that's going to give them an advantage in admissions. And uh, before yeah. you dig into the, the one advantage I think you have identified, potential advantage, um, I do want to point out that a program on a college campus is not necessarily affiliated with the college. So to assume that being on that college campus, that you're doing the program, that it's actually being run by that college is actually kind of can be a big leap. So not all college programs are run by the college. So that's an important point to note when we get to your big pro, which is Tova. Well, I, I think my pro on how could it impact the college admission process? Yes. Oh no, am I, am I frozen? No, no, I my just- My internet's stuttering. <laughs> But I'm back okay. now. Okay. You're good. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. So um, I love I love stuttering internet. It makes it so much fun. So I think a pro is important to note as a real exception. It, I think the most common scenario is it is going to have zero bearing on your admission outcome. The right. reality is every once in a while, you could have a student who is a complete knockout who blows everyone out of the water. They make such an impact while they're there that the professors who work with them can't help but say, oh my goodness, this student is on par or stronger than every student I teach here. Wow, this student is ready to be here tomorrow or today. And they can't help but rave about this student and want and ask the student, can I write you a letter of recommendation? And in the rarest of circumstances, sure, that could actually help out in the process. I just want to not suggest that that's likely or uh, going to be a probable scenario for the students simply attending the uh, the, the program. Yeah, I, I think um, it just my personal experience in admissions, I literally, this never happened once. So I never <laughs> once had a professor who was so impressed with a student who did a summer program um, that they actually stopped and wrote a letter. I did once have a professor write a letter in support of a student who attended a class, one class, um, joined a class, was there for the day. Uh, when I worked at Penn, we had a book of classes that students could attend. The student went to the class and managed to engage in the class in such a way that the professor was truly wowed. Um, once. Wow. In all of my admissions time, did that ever happen? So I do think we should look at this as really, really highly unlikely. Now I think the other reason it's highly unlikely is that oh, professors... Goodness. What has happened? It's I, I highly think unlikely. It is highly unlikely. And I will say this too, professors tend to not be particularly effusive. So um, I, every once in a while, I would have a letter of recommendation that a student would have asked a college professor to write on their behalf because maybe they had taken a class. And the, and the college professor's letters tended to be pretty flat and not very exciting. Yeah. They, don't, they don't rave yeah. the way that high school uh, teachers can. And so, again, is it possible? Sure. Um, but is it likely? No. Uh, in fact, it's highly sure. unlikely. So, yeah. um, so there is that. I think it's worth pointing out. I think it's worth pointing out that there, in terms of impacting admissions, attending such a program that really builds energy for the students. Simply attending as a line item on the resume isn't going to move the needle. That's not going to impress anyone. Right. But could it build some energy for the student, really 
ignite some sort of enthusiasm for a particular area that they dive in more deeply, make some great connections with future friends and uh, mentors. And maybe that is what they build on. And that ends up being impactful. Absolutely. So programs like these can build some energy in that way that ultimately will impact the admission outcome. But to be clear, simply attending one at a particular school, your first choice school or other, is very unlikely to have any impact on your admission outcome. Right. I totally agree. And and actually, I think I would um, I would build on that by saying if you have a great experience and it does sort of ignite this area of interest that you have or it builds on something else, all of those are really great things. And they have nothing to do with the actual location of this summer program. So when you are looking at the program, if you're going to go this route, I think it's way more important that you find one that's perfectly aligned with something that you're really interested in or that you want to learn more about and not with your school your top choice school, because it is almost definitely not going to impact admission in the one way in which it might, where what you're saying, developing this greater interest is irrelevant to whatever school you did the program at. Um, Any other um, kind of pros associated in your mind with, um, you know, doing this outside of the admissions impact? Sure. I mean, they could be a lot of fun right? They build mm-hmm. that enthusiasm. They, it could be a, a great sort of summer camp type experience. Uh, I think that it's also a great opportunity to buy a whole lot of swag from that school and load up on your t-shirts of that school and sweatshirts. Right. <laughs> uh, I think it's a great alternative over sitting and playing video games all summer. If there isn't another sort of set plan or, or something else to be doing that has value. So I think some of those things are, are really great to consider. Right. And, and then on the flip side of that. Hmm. Cons. These programs, Beth, are expensive, like really expensive, often thousands and thousands of dollars. And they usually or they don't always have financial aid or scholarships available to them. I'd say that has to be the biggest con. Uh, and if a student is choosing it because they think it's going to make an impact on their admission decision and it, it's not, I then feel like, could they be spending their time doing something just as productive or more valuable uh, with all of that energy and time and money. Um, So I think the cost has got to be one of the biggest cons. Yeah, I agree. And I also think that, um, you know, there is a perception that these are mostly pay to play. And so there isn't anything particularly special that qualifies a student for this um, and I agree with you. I think, you know, maybe you could go out and find yourself something interesting to do locally. Um, maybe you could get yourself a full-time summer job and earn some money rather than right. spending money, right? So yeah. in my opinion, there are, these have their place. I think they can be right for the, they can be a good experience for the right student and all the things that you've laid out. Yeah. But uh, you know, I, I'm hard pressed to actively encourage these right. programs for most students. And I'd be more encouraging for the students earlier in high school, summer after ninth, summer after 10th, than I would as a summer after 11th when you're further along and have ideas of how you might spend that time. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's a great way to dip your toe in the water early on if you've got the money and that's not really a concern. Um, and, I, and I agree, though, that as you get closer to the actual application process, that these kinds of programs are less interesting at that stage for some schools. So, um, all right. So then I think we can successfully say that uh, there isn't a clear cut yes or no, but you certainly not. do we not. Have to say it depends. <laughs> you do not need to attend the summer program of your top choice college. I feel very, very confident that that's one black and white statement that we can make. That is true. Absolutely, yeah. I would agree with that. Any can last I make thoughts? A plug? Yes, yeah, yeah, please. <laughs> because I, I have to share. I'd be so remiss if not that some of my best summers in college were working for yes. one of these programs. This is such a phenomenal, put this one away in your back pocket for the listeners who are heading off to college, maybe in a year or two. If you're looking for a summer job, you want a, a way to maybe live on campus. Uh, this is a wonderful one. Your housing is often covered. Your meals are sometimes covered. Maybe while the students, those high school school students are taking classes during the day, you can get a, another part-time job as well. 
I had the best time working for the summer program two summers in a row at my alma mater. Now, see, I love that. And as you know, I have a high school senior and this is a suggestion maybe I can make to him because I think that's something he would enjoy doing. So good advice. I made such a mistake. I paid for housing my first summer living in New York City. What was I thinking? I don't know. I, I could get a job that would pay for my housing for me. I don't know. Well, but it was it was such a fun thing to do. So these programs are great. I do love them. I think we just need to be clear. It's not going to get you into that college. Right, exactly. And so just make sure you go in with your eyes wide open right. when it comes to that. Tova, thank you so much for joining us today. Internet challenges and all, I think that you have fought through and um, I appreciate your time. Thanks, Beth. This was fun. <laughs> okay, great. We're going to go to a quick break. And when we come back, we're talking about accepted student events um, for all of you seniors. So we have some thoughts on these and we're going to share those because that's what we do here. So don't go away. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts, who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions, offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one -on -one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. And I hope for those college or high school seniors, sorry, that you stuck around because we have this last segment is specifically for you. Um, I'm joined by my colleague, uh, Lisa Albro, who is a former admissions officer at Goucher College and also worked as a school counselor. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Beth. How are you? I'm good, thanks. So we are talking about accepted student events, and um, these are going on in earnest right now and probably through the end of April. Um, and so I wanted to Get your thoughts. And why don't we start with the most basic, which are what are admitted student events? Mm -hmm, sure. So most of them, many of them take place on campus, but there often will be admitted student events that travel to local areas so they can meet students who may not be able to make it to campus. But they're yield events. They're, they're designed to help students who've been admitted make their decisions. And as all high school seniors and their parents out there know right now, you might be grappling with that challenge of here, you know, here are two or three or four schools, maybe more, I hope that have accepted me. And how do I choose? So visiting a place again, and seeing it with the eyes of an admitted student is the best way to do this. Um, you know, when you visited originally and started to do college tours last year or summer or fall, you were looking at schools before you knew if you were in and maybe you were hopeful. But now you know you've got a place there and it's up to you to decide which is the best place for me. Right. Is this right. the place where I could see myself? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So as our listeners probably know, if they've been paying attention, I have a senior. Um, he is in exactly this position right now. So he has uh, answers from all but one of the schools that he applied to. And he has, it's the same thing when he had really good criteria for what schools would go on his list. Um, but now that he knows where he's been accepted, he's really starting to zero in as much as possible on 
Um, where does he fit the best? He feels like he fits at all of these schools. That's why he applied to all of them. But now he's trying to determine, well, which is the best one? Because as we have talked about many times on the show, you can only go to one. <laughs> so as excited as you might be about all of your decisions, you can only choose one. Um, so last night, in fact, he and I attended an admitted student uh, reception that was local. So that was in um, in Boston. We live in the Boston area. And um, for those events, um, what they usually do is they'll bring member a member or two of the admissions office along with maybe some local alums to talk to students and parents um, about their experiences. And then in a perfect world, maybe you meet other students who have been accepted. I will say that um, we did not really chat with any other families who were there. Um, I'm curious if you have advice for students to not make that mistake <laughs> or, you know, how, how you might approach a reception like that. Sure. Sure. Well, and, and to your point, the, the, the goal of the institution of the, of the school is to introduce you to as many different facets of, of student life as possible. You know, we, we used to do those local events too, and we would travel with sometimes professors, sometimes current students would come with us too. And I think the more the merrier, the more chance you get to meet people and talk to people, but yeah, to talk to other families that are there, other admitted students that are there to find out. I met one of my best friends through one of those conversations oh, at an cool. admitted student event. Yep, I did. And so you never know who you might meet, who you might come to know later. And it's not a guarantee all of you were going to that college, but it's, it's nice to make that connection. Um, but ask the questions too, because when you visit a school as an admitted student or attend one of these local events, you're doing so again, like I said, with the eyes of an admitted student. So you're not learning about how many students go there and, you know, what majors do they have like you did, uh, you know, maybe a year ago, you're, you're going deeper. And so I encourage students to have their questions that they want to ask, get ready to ask questions of everybody you can talk to. They're there to answer your questions and help guide you. Um, you know, so if there are professors, if there are current students, if there are alums, ask them about their experiences, ask them, you know, what are the things that you most need to know about for your daily life in college? you know, what's most important to you? Is it the food? Is it, you know, getting, getting your courses that you need, whatever that might be, ask all those questions because now you're really sizing them up there. They need to prove to you that they're the one. Right. Right. <laughs> and, and they need to show you what they have to offer. That's, that's good. A um, couple things that you might see on campus, maybe, and, and maybe on the local events, uh, very often they'll have panel discussions. There might be faculty panels or student panels. We always did both of those. And I used to get to moderate the student one, which I loved. And sometimes I would cringe though, because students were very honest mm -hmm. in the student panels, which was great for families who were there to discover this is the place for them, but a little bit nerve wracking for those <laughs> of us who, you know, really wanted everybody to enroll who was sitting in the room. And, and sometimes a student might say something that would make us go, oh, you know, but right. it, you know, it's not canned. They they say what they mean and, and what their experience has been. Um, oftentimes, a lot of the open house or the admitted students programs will have things like majors fairs where you can learn more about the specific majors or departments. Uh, there might be activity fairs where representatives from a lot of the different activity groups on campus might be there. You know, they'll have a table or a booth and you can stop by and learn about, okay, this might be here for me when I, when I come here. Uh, sometimes they used to have overnight stays. We always did overnight stays at Goucher, uh, which again, for us as administrators was really nerve wracking because we had yes. all these 17, 18 year olds, you know, on the campus visiting and we were hoping that they were taken care of overnight in the dorms. Uh, but it was a great way for them to spend, you know, a day and a night on campus and eat in the dining halls and, and walk around and go to classes and see what that felt like. Right. From a student yeah. Perspective. I, I my my personal experience has been that not one of the schools that um, my son applied to is offering that overnight option. Um, it does well. COVID. It also feels like a lot of schools, if they ever had it or if they did have it, which many did, kind of have gotten away from it. There, I think, ultimately, too many liability issues, mm -hmm. and there may be some schools that still do it, but that hasn't been an option. Um, I'm curious about your thoughts. So I mentioned that we did a local event. Um, we're also going to visit that school in person. Uh, I would say that that is one of, 
you know, his top choices. Any advice for families in terms of should they be going to every single accepted student event or, you know, how do you narrow that down or should you narrow that list down? I think you do need to narrow it down somewhat. I mean, if you're accepted to say eight schools, let's right. say, you may not be able to make all those visits in this short time frame. I mean, there's still school. You still need to finish up your senior year and all those things. And you might have sports or events and things. So I would say, think about which schools you must visit in terms of where haven't you already visited, if any schools. And, mm-hmm. and if there's serious contenders on your list, please visit. Don't yes. deposit, please. I mean, I know you know, a year and a half, two years ago, it was a little bit different story when you couldn't visit campus, when everything was shut down and you had to make those decisions without seeing a campus sometimes. That's a different story. Now that most campuses are open and you can go, please, please, please see the place before you put down your deposit and enroll, right? I mean, it's just, to me, it's foolish to not do that if you can avoid it, please. Uh, But you can't always make it right to every campus. So, so organize it by the ones you must see. And maybe some will be revisits. Maybe some you did see very early on in your touring and you don't remember a lot about it, or, you know, you didn't want to get your hopes up when you first visited. So you, you looked at it through a different lens, but now that you're in, you want to go back and see it, you know, from that perspective, from the admitted student perspective. So think about that. I, I would say the ones that are closest, that they're, they're not a long trip. You don't have to do an overnight, you know, to stay overnight in, in the area. If you can just get there easily and back home and they're having an open house, do it if you can, right. you know, if, you, if you can afford to miss school <laughs> to do That's it a big one. weekend, right? Yes. Um, but yeah, you may not be able to make them all, but if it's a place you've seen a couple of times, you may not need to go back again, as an admitted student, if you really have to pick and choose which ones to go to, maybe that's lower on your list, but more important are the ones that you must see. Right. And, you know, from my perspective, I do think sometimes if you go to see all of the places where the student was accepted and it is eight schools, sometimes that doesn't really help with clarity. Sometimes it actually confuses the issue. Um, So, even it's very expensive and certainly you could say, let's narrow it because we're not going to spend all that money to go see every single school. But even if the sky is the limit when it comes to money, I would really be thoughtful about where do you really need to see? To your point, if you've never seen it and you're strongly considering going, then definitely you should be going. And I would advise going for an accepted student's be, uh, weekend or day because that's probably going to give you the greatest amount of insight in a quick you know, one day shot. But if you're not really that excited about a few schools, but, you know, then maybe those are, that's a sign and you can kind of let those go, especially if you've seen them before. Um, My son has narrowed in on three schools that he likes a lot. And so we're going to return to three schools versus going to every single school that he's been accepted to. Um, because I do, I think that would be overkill. And I don't think it would help him determine which one was best. I, I think he has done a little bit of that sorting in his brain already. And we're kind of, we're going with that. So, you know, that's some advice from what we're doing in my house. That's Take right. it for, for what it's worth. Um, what do you think about depositing before you attend a student, admitted student day? What are your thoughts on that? I'm very wary about that. I mean, you already have a place in class, you, you have a spot, why deposit first and then visit? You don't want to be that kid who, you know, oh, let me, let me withdraw my deposit because I changed my mind, even though, you know, it won't impact you tremendously, I guess, on, other, on the other end. But uh, you, don't, you don't want to be that kid, you know, or that parent, right, who, who, with, who puts down deposits and de- withdraws. We really want to try to keep it to making one deposit to the place that you go to, not multiple de- deposits. Right, right. I mean, and if you're going to spend the money to go visit, it it's sort of, to me, unless they're pushing it on the, on the housing front, and usually that's a separate, or often it can be a separate deposit. It's like sort of a housing deposit. Sometimes it's refundable, sometimes it's not. We're not having a whole conversation today around how ethical or not it is to require a student to deposit when they technically have until May 1 to let you know. Mm -hmm. I think our listeners probably know that we are not big fans of that, but I also understand institutional needs and priorities and things like that. But 
the other, if you're going to go and you want to have a conversation, maybe the financial aid package wasn't quite what you were hoping for, or just simply wasn't enough. Maybe you were hoping that there might be a little bit more merit money. The second you deposit, you've lost your bargaining power, right? right? right. So they know they've got you. They don't have to work harder to keep you. Exactly. You are, mm-hmm. you are, you're there and you've accepted. And right. um, so you really want to hold off. And, and, and again, if you are going to see the schools in a week, just wait the week. And then if you're there and you love it, hey, and you don't have any more negotiating to do, by all means, bring your check and do it there. um, I'm in a couple of parent groups for accepted students run by the different universities. And I see it every day where a parent says, we just attended a great student, um, admitted student event. My son loved it. And he has accepted. We gave them our check while we were there. Awesome. That's kind of fun, right? Great. But Exciting. there's no need to to do it in advance. Um, what are what are some other things that you recommend that students check out while they're on an admitted student um, mm-hmm. event? Sure, I would definitely check out the career development office or whatever they call it on that campus. Because let's face it, you're not just going to school to be a student. You're ultimately wanting to go to grad school or into the workforce. So go visit career development. They might have a table or a booth at some fair too, but but look for the place where you're going to be going for help with internships, help with jobs. If something like study abroad is important to you, maybe visit that office or that department if you can. The, sometimes that's right out of the dean's office. Sometimes it's its own entity. It, it, it varies from school to school. Um, visit, you know, the academic buildings. Find out about majors. Find out about, you know, if you're if you want to be an engineer and you're really into engineering, go to, if there's an engineering yeah. building, find out what's available to you. See the labs, see the places where you'll be doing the nitty gritty of your work. Um, you know, if you're an athlete, if you're interested or recruited or not, but if you're mm-hmm. recruited, most likely you've already done your visits. But but if you're interested in playing a sport, even intramurals, club sports or something, go visit the athletic facility, see what they have, spend some time there, talk to some coaches or some people, some students working out what have you. Um, Most likely they'll have some food for you, but if you can get into some of the dining areas, I don't think that's a bad idea to kind of see what you see and taste what you taste. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) Get a feel for what that's like. Um, And you mentioned financial aid before, certainly if if you're, you know, getting an aid package or you're, you know, got some merit and you want to kind of talk things through, usually they have some way for you to meet with these folks on, on campus on admitted students days, but you know, you, you might already make an appointment ahead of Mm -hmm. time too. Yeah. And actually, I think that's a great point, right? You, they have these admitted student days, they're set up, and they're hopefully going to cover everything you could possibly want to investigate. But there's no reason why you couldn't separately make appointments to talk to someone on someone on campus that maybe isn't part of the, part of that event. Um, and, you know, have your own sort of schedule for some things you want to accomplish while you're there. Um, I think that's good advice. And you don't just have to stick to what is sanctioned by the university, I guess. Correct. Correct. Right? I say the same thing to students who are visiting schools for the first time, you know, make space in your day to do more than what's programmed or what's scheduled, you know, spend some time off campus too, because y- you know, you may want to spend time off campus as a student who knows, see what's out there, right. see what's available to you. If you want to get off campus and go have dinner or go shopping what amenities are right there within walking distance if you won't have a car or what transportation is there find those things out too right it's you you basically you're moving to a new place for probably a minimum of 4 years possibly a little longer is this a place you want to live for the next four to five to six years? Um, and those are important components of how happy or not you're going to be in those places, right? Right. Yeah. So my son and I really like, we're into food. I, I don't love the word foodie because that's just so like overdone, but we like food. So when we went and visited a bunch of different college campuses, I looked for a really great restaurant um, near every campus so we could just try something that I knew we knew had been identified as really good. And when we go back, we're doing the same thing. We're looking for, oh, there was that restaurant there we wanted to try and we didn't, it wasn't open when we were there. Or this place is a place that apparently students 
students love to go to. So let's try this place when we go back again. Um, so, you know, what are what's important to you? Kind of seeking that out is such a huge component of going back to these campuses before you make a final decision. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Any other thoughts that you generally share with students or suggestions that you make as they are making their final choices and incorporating these return visits into, into that process? Yeah, well, I'm a big pro and con person myself. I'm a big list maker and I like to write it down. I like to see it or type it. You know, I want to see it in writing. Here are the pros and here are the cons for each place I'm considering. And sometimes you may have a really long list of pros, a really short list of cons, but the cons, the individual cons might be really, really big and outweigh the pros. Sometimes if you spell it out, and look at it that way and, and think of everything, you know, after your visit and maybe when it's fresh in your mind, don't wait until the week after in the car on the way home or in the hotel that night, if you're right, you know, staying near campus, whatever it is, jot all down your thoughts down and, and say, you know, here are the things I liked, here are the things I didn't, you know, how many of the things you didn't like are you can you live with you know do the right. pros eclipse those things and look at that for each campus and maybe as you compare and contrast you might see that hmm, I didn't realize but this one place that I thought was kind of highest on my list I realized had more cons than I realized and and you know there are there are fewer pros than I thought there would be but this other place that I wasn't really paying as much attention to hmm after visiting, I learned this and this and that, and maybe this is the better place for me. And I don't want this to muddy the waters. And I think to your point earlier, Beth, that's why you don't want to visit maybe all eight of the schools, right. or all the schools you got accepted to or what have you, because it, it might bring different thinking in that wasn't already there, that maybe you've already kind of semi-ruled a couple places out and you don't need to visit them, but then the ones that are still in contention, you want to visit and kind of do this, you know, right. just, and, and talk it through, you know, just don't just keep it all in your head. This is something that students and parents should talk through together because, you know, parents might have a certain misgiving they don't want to voice, but if the student brings something up that maybe the parent was thinking, parents might say, ah, oh, you know, I was, I was wondering about that too. Let's talk about this. Right. Absolutely. Help you make the best decision. Yep. Lisa, thank you so much for being here today. I think really good advice and um, I just appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Okay, next week, Sally is hosting. We're talking about sports academies um, as a high school choice, uh, creating a preliminary college list and also borrowing for college, whether or not to do that, what are some pros, what are some cons, um, just so you go into it with your eyes wide open. Um, and don't forget, we are here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.